In this episode, I'm blessed to be joined by the one and only Jamie Barber. Jamie is an incredible restaurateur, entrepreneur. He's the man behind Hush Mayfair, Hash A Burger. He was a judge on Netflix and the BBC's Million Pound Menu, and is most recently the co-founder of an incredible new business, My Superhero, which he's co-founded alongside the singer Mylene Class. Jamie, thank you so much for joining today. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So your career is incredible. I mean, doing a bit of research over the, the last couple of days, just the names that you've been mentioned with, Sir Roger Moore, Bill Clinton, like literally everyone came up when I was doing some background research around you. But what's amazing to me is just, you know, I think I read you've been, you've done 28 startups, but you're still going, right? You've done all these things previously, but you're, you're back on the horse again for another, for another ride. So where does the entrepreneurial spirit come from? Where does this love of, of risk and building, where, where does it all start? God, I mean, I, I just, I really like to see how things work. And, and I, I, I'm one of these people, especially with restaurants, where I go into restaurants and some people go, I've had a great meal. And, and I, I get restaurant envy and I go, I wish I owned this. Or I wish I could, why can't I create something like this? So, so I think uh, I think naturally my background is, is creative and I like to create businesses. I find that whole journey a massive buzz and a massive kick. Um, and... The startup is the best part of the journey because you always think you can take over the world, mm-hmm. and then it's always it's always easier to journey than it is to arrive. When you arrive, it's sometimes not quite as plain sailing as you expect. But certainly, that early stage start with a blank piece of paper. Can I make this happen? Make it a reality. Raise the money. Put the teams together. Make something that customers like. That kind of stuff is addictive. So exciting. And how do you find managing all these different things? You know, you're you're a pianist as well. You've recorded albums. I mean, you know, you've done some really cool stuff. How do you? you know, manage to build these things with so much going on? Is that something that you've done purposefully or is it just, you know, the curiosity takes you to different places and you've got to start something new? Um, I, I think I've always got to the stage where I've managed to create enough scale in some of these businesses to have really capable people run the day-to-day. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I can sit on a, on a much more of a creative and strategic level and, and, and manage the big relationships and the, and, and the big directions. Um, and that certainly makes it easy. I don't think I'd be able to physically operate multiple businesses at the same time. I yeah. think that's too much, too much for anybody. Mm. Um, but, but it's certainly, it's, it's very, uh, somebody once said that micromanagement is underrated uh, and sometimes I do like to dip into the minutia of stuff yep. really really small stuff like how a booking is taken at, mm-hmm. at one of the restaurants and just really go into it quite deep just so that I can understand the process and by understanding the process you, you then it kind of opens a light um, on, on whether you can improve things and, and I'm always looking to try and see how we can improve how we can do better so how important is it uh, to get under the hood of every process or is it something which you know takes uh, a while to understand what you're looking for or did you have a natural you know inclination to saying well look th- we could improve this process this way how, how did you learn these things um well I- interestingly when i started my first restaurant i had absolutely no clue what i was doing mm-hmm. so I-, I came into it with no track record mm-hmm. no money no experience i, I had no clue but what I did have at that stage was, you know, I was in my late 20s. I wasn't married. I had a lot of disposable income in those days. Not now, now that I've got a mortgage and killed children. And, uh, um, but but uh, I was, I used to go out a lot. Yeah. And, and therefore, I was, the per- I was my own perfect customer. Okay. So I was trying to create something that appealed to me uh, and my friends. And, 
And and I actually think not having the knowledge mm. from the business perspective down actually made that process easier because I didn't start with a whole load of, of preconceptions as to how things worked. I just kind of went, I want to do this, how do we do it? Yeah. So at the time, I mean, it shows you how long it was because I started Hush in... Um, in uh, 1999. Oh, was that the first? That was the fir- my okay. first ever restaurant. So 27. Great way to start. 27 really. years old, <laughs> no, not, not having a clue. Um, but at the time, the, the hot restaurant mm-hmm. was the Ivy at mm-hmm. the time. I mean, this is before the Ivy Cafe and it's slightly got yeah. a little bit of time. Was it? And, uh, and the top bar that everybody went to, all the kind of celebs and the people that used to hang out in the cool places was the Met Bar, which was part of the Metropolitan Hotel where Nova okay. is. And at that time, I was like, okay, I just want to do something that's a bit like the Ivy on the ground floor. And I want to do something that's a bit like the Met Bar on the first floor. So we, we went out to hire, I hired the senior sous chef from the Ivy and I went create me this kind of thing and and I, I, I hired one of the senior bartenders from the Met Bar and I said look create me this kind nice. of bar and it was very much just cobbling it together because I didn't know what else to do I didn't know how to do it so uh, and I think that actually that rubbed some of the food critics at the time up the wrong way I because uh, I didn't even know there were food critics. Yeah. I said, have you invited the food critics to the opening? I was like, there are food critics? I had no idea. So they, they liked at that time uh, restaurants that had been started by a chef who's been working on for 25 years to, yeah. to hone their craft. Yeah. And some guy not knowing what the hell he was doing from a music lawyer starting a restaurant in Mayfair, quite huge and glamorous with celebrities coming to it. They, they didn't like that. Yeah, I mean, it's really interesting. It's a trend that I've seen pretty globally mm-hmm. is traditional industries, they lo- they wanted to see you go through what they went through yes. in order to earn something or achieve something. Mm-hmm. Whereas now with the TikTok, TikTokification of everything. It's mm-hmm. like, yeah, we expect people at 18, 19. And yeah, cool, of course they're going to have mm-hmm. a seat at the table if they earn it in that way. But paying your dues, right? That was such a, a concept back yeah. then. It's interesting to see how that's changed. Yeah, it has. But, but actually, the, I'm using the same thought process. It's not even a thought process, just kind of what feels natural with My Superhero, which mm-hmm. is essentially a, a tech business. Um, uh, with a very heavy digital marketing and e-commerce type of angle, of which I had absolutely zero experience. Um, but the learning, my, my learning curve has just gone through the roof. But yeah. but actually learning those processes from scratch has been really, really fascinating and interesting. Yeah. And now, of course, I'm jumping on the next thing to try and understand what the hell, just chat GPT? What, you know. <laughs> and, and again, I, I'm sure in this kind of community, everybody knows yeah. about AI and chat sure. GPT and how that might change things. But actually, if you ask 99 percent of most restaurateurs for example or, or, or people in in that sector they have a clue what, what, yes. what i'm talking about so it might seem really like current to us but it's just the tip of the iceberg in terms absolutely. of awareness absolutely i mean it's amazing because someone from a, a legal background law does not scream adoption of new technologies adoption of of finding the new thing necessary mm. in my experience with, with a lot of lawyers so you know how come you ended up in, in law, how can we end up then going to the other side of risk, which is all the risk you could handle mm. from a legal background? Um, so I went into law specifically to do entertainment law. Okay. Um, and because I, I, I came from a music background, I played music, I was in bands and that type of stuff. Uh, and when I was at university, I, I wanted to go to one specific firm, which was a firm called Harper Clown Lewis, that did music, film, TV and entertainment generally. Uh, and I thought if I'm going to do law I want to do sexy law and it was really really great fun and actually we were on the very very early stage of of um, of tech law at that mm-hmm. stage which was called digital mixed media okay um, because nobody else knew what to call it so that's that's kind of where, so in terms of early adoption 
at that stage, we were just being introduced to this thing called email. And uh, I remember to send an email to somebody when I started in law. They wanted you to print off your email first and get it signed off by a partner before you were allowed to transmit it. So, I mean, <laughs> that, that's, that's kind of how early we yeah. were in that cycle. Um, and to answer your question about how I got, how I got into, um, into restaurants, mm. It was purely by accident because I used to be, uh, which is fairly well reported, I used to be Roger Moore's lawyer, mm -hmm. um, and I got very close to um, Roger Moore and his family, and his son Jeffrey became a very, very good friend of mine. And Jeffrey, to cut a, a long dinner party story short, because this is what it's now, my life's now turned into a couple of dinner party stories. Okay, yeah. Um, <laughs> but he was trying to start a restaurant based on his father called Spy Cafe, Okay, um, which was like Planet Hollywood burger restaurant based on based on his dad live and let fries nice and yeah um, and um, and it, it was a disaster mm -hmm. failed it didn't even get off the ground actually it didn't didn't start but but Roger asked me to get Jeffrey out of all of the arrangements that he'd got himself right. into which I did and then Jeffrey famously in my household turned around and said I don't know what to do now because I was going to start this restaurant it's now not happening so I said look why don't you start a more glamorous restaurant mm. that you can invite your father and his friends to and and he said, I'd love to, but I wouldn't know where to start. So I said, you know what, I, I don't know where to start either. But I tell you what, I'll leave law yeah. and let's do it together. Amazing. And and I left and and ended up uh, 22 years later still in the restaurant business. <laughs> it's incredible. Oh, and mm. I think, you know, when you talk about uh, now with My Supper Hero, yeah. learning all these incredible new mm. industries and learning your new modes of operation, mm -hmm. that growth mindset is clearly something that you've had throughout jumping mm. from law into being a restaurateur, now mm. into, you know, the digital space in a more, more, more um, you know, digitally focused way. I mean, it's incredible to see that that growth mindset going. And do you think that's been a big part of the reason why you've been able to do all these things? Because if you have that curious mind, it's not about, well, this is what I know, therefore I'm going to stick to it. It's about, well, this is a starting point. You know, I can, I can go so far from here. Yeah, I mean, you have to have... I'm sure you've talked to a million entrepreneurs and you have to have a curious mind. You have mm. to want to know how things work and, and make them better. But you also have to have that coupled with unbelievable amounts of perseverance and a belief in your own abilities and your own um, and your own kind of success ratio. Um, and it's funny because mm. when I started when I started Hush, I, I don't think I don't think it even occurred to me that it wouldn't be successful. It's not that I was being arrogant. I just, I just don't think I went through that process in my mind. Oh, what, what? I, I had no filter, mm. no fear filter at that stage. It just didn't really occur to me because when you're 27, 28, you just think you can take over the world. It doesn't really matter. So, yeah. so I just kind of did it really. Yeah. And, um, and actually the, the restaurant that I did after Hush in 2002 mm -hmm. was the first restaurant no it was the first project that i'd been involved in that wasn't a success it was a failure and i was not mentally prepared for that at all because i just kind of was just going on yeah. on the road show and expecting everything to yeah to work swimmingly well and then i had something that was a knock in the face and mentally that was that was a challenge trying to deal with that really and how and how do you pick yourself back up from from a failure in that way it's something which you know so much of our audience mm. investors entrepreneurs will be fascinated to learn um, so as I said, because it was my first knock, I mm -hmm. think I think once you've had your first knock, I think everything else becomes just what do they say? Once you're over your first rodeo, it becomes easier. Yeah. Um, uh, but that first one was was tough, and I you know I, I definitely went through some you know dark couple of month mm -hmm. period where I just didn't know what to do, um, and I couldn't sell this restaurant. I couldn't. Nobody would buy it. Um, 
And I remember, I remember the, the thought process where there, there came a point where I had, to, I had to dust myself down, literally, and physically pick myself up because wow. there were times where I just couldn't get out of bed. It was so, yeah. I felt so bad. And I went, okay, who could make this restaurant work? And I wrote this short list of about four or five people that I thought could make this restaurant work. And then I, I approached them all and I got one person who thought they could make the restaurant work, mm -hmm. but it was going to cost a lot of money. Mm -hmm. So I actually went about raising the money for this person to buy out my restaurant to do his wow. project with. <laughs> um, and uh, and that, that was a guy called Alan Yao who, okay. uh, who started uh, Hakkasan and mm -hmm. Yao and Wagamama. And I put the funding together for him to buy out our restaurant. And I ended up being a kind of small shareholder in the new restaurant going forward. So, and that's where I think I, I coined this phrase that sometimes it's not the deals that you do that define you, but it's how you get out the bad ones. Yeah. Um, and that, that, that does take another different type of mindset. Again, I suppose it's creative because you've just got to think about Absolutely. what's the solutions. Absolutely. And I think as well, you know, that's incredible turning a, a failure into that. You know, ultimately, it's how it ends, right? Mm. It doesn't sound like a failure at the end of it, although you've gone through a really tough time. Yeah. But iterating, optimizing, adjusting, <coughs> uh, it's really exciting. So tell me, what, what took you into My Supper Hero now as a new proposition? Obviously, you've created these incredible, you know, in-restaurant experiences for people. Yeah. It's all about that side of it. My Supper Hero really on the other end of that. So what led you to the, the, the curiosity around that? So, so My Supper Hero as a proposition uh, is... Uh, gives people the ability to eat restaurant quality meals in their own home for less than £12.50 per person. Um, and we deliver it nationwide and we deliver it in what used to be called meal kits, mm -hmm. um, which for me has got this kind of overhang of the thing that you did during lockdown. Yeah, it um, uh, But we, we, we now kind of refer to it internally as kind of almost fully prepared meals. Okay. So... 96% of the work has been done for you, which means that you can assemble it at home with less than 10 minutes of effort. You can still put it in the oven and you can eat amazing food and then go and have command of your own time and go on watch Netflix or catch up with friends. Um, and it really is an amazing alternative to Deliveroo or to mm. Uber Eats and just, just, just to be able to eat that quality of food at home in such little time. Uh, that's what we want to do. And I came at that in the same thought process mode as when I started my first restaurant, mm -hmm. which was for me as a customer. So we went through as a family, we went through, this is a post lockdown business. So, but we went through lockdown going, we just want to eat brilliantly at home. And the choices were limited because yeah. we were getting bored with delivery and takeaway. Sure. We had a small number of local restaurants that got boring very quickly. Um, and we didn't want to have to cook from scratch every night of the week because it's time-consuming and labor-intensive, and the thought process is hard. And people have got a variety of cooking skills. I can cook, but Mylene uh, Class, who's my, my co-founder, famously can't cook, or doesn't like cooking anyway. <laughs> um, um, but we were just surprised by how few options there were to eat so well yeah. like that at home. And so I kind of thought, well, look, I want to try and do something about it. Yeah. So we tested this proposition um, delivering these um, uh, fully prepared meals all over the country, Scotland and Wales. And, mm. um, and the feedback, the reaction has been amazing. And we are building it now and, uh, and, and seeing where we can take it. Super exciting. Yeah. yeah, really, really exciting. And do you think that this change has, you know, sorry, change in consumer behavior, mm -hmm. this idea of, of ordering meal kits, I mean, is that just something which now you see as the future? Um, I think it. I think there's there's a a battle going on for the command of 
one of the slots of the week mm-hmm. that you eat. Mm-hmm. So everybody eats 14 meals a, day, 14 meals a week. Um, 14 meals a day. 14 meals right. a day yeah, is how I feel at the moment. During lockdown, yeah. <laughs> for me, absolutely, that would be an accurate description. Um, and I think in the old days, it used to be a battle between like supermarkets against supermarkets, yes. restaurants against restaurants, um, delivery platforms against delivery. But now mm-hmm. everybody is trying to control one or two or three or four slots of that. That's of those, a really interesting those way of slots. looking at it. Yeah. Um, and and we want to be in that. We we would like people to not necessarily use us three times a week because that's not the model. But certainly we have people that on a Wednesday or a Thursday night with their with their partners they'll put one of our meals together over a glass of wine and they'll talk and it's an enjoyable experience it looks fantastic it tastes fantastic it's it's um it the the, the supply chain is amazing so the, the stuff that you put in your body is fantastic the quality yeah. of the produce is amazing um so it's like so what's there not to like yeah absolutely <laughs> absolutely and how long did it take you to get through that the logistics element yeah. you know doing the supply chain for the ingredients Obviously, something you've done, you know, multiple times through through your career, mm-hmm. but the this you know new part of distribution and that side of logistics. And is that something inspired by the the campaign that you guys ran with Hashay Burger during lockdown as well? Was that that part of the thinking? Um, well, on when we during lockdown, we were on the the. The, the forefront of this thing called Feed Our Frontline, which was to help NHS workers. So we, we, we sent a lot of meals out to NHS workers from our delivery kitchens. Mm-hmm. And, and so obviously the, the, the dark kitchen model, as they call it, cloud kitchen model, was something that was very familiar with. Yeah. Uh, and certainly I understood the logistics um, when it came to My Supper Hero. But they're very, very different because um, uh, Hashi, when it delivers a burger, it delivers it as a hot product. So yes. it's got to be within... A sort of fifteen-minute radius of wherever the distribution kitchen is. My supper is different because the meals are sent out cold, so mm-hmm. we can have one central distribution point, and that can facilitate the whole of the country. Right, so, so actually you, makes it a lot easier. It's a lot easier. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Lots. Also, so that must be quite a nice break then from from looking at it the other way. Well, I think it, I think it makes scaling a lot easier mm. because with the dark kitchen traditional model, every time you want to open a new delivery radius, you've got to buy kits, manage staff, whereas for us, we've got, uh, we've got a lot of white space. Interestingly, we've, when I first started Superhero, I thought that the, the concentration of people that were going to use it were going to be millennials based in sure. Shoreditch. And, yeah. uh, and, and actually, it's been interesting because 80% of our attraction is coming from outside of London. Really? And it doesn't, it's really obvious when you think about it because... The number of delivery options, if you're in the middle of a rural or a less urban area, are yeah. much more limited. You're not going to get that quality. No, and you don't have. You're in the middle. Of, we're sitting in Shoreditch now. I could put my delivery app on, and I will find seventy, sure. you know, different great choices. Really cool little independent restaurants. Mm. If you go to again more rural parts, there's like yeah, just very little there. Yeah, where, where my parents are, for example, there is no delivery. Yeah, you know, these places don't have yeah. the ability. Like, if you want mm. to get. A takeaway it's not going to be yes. high quality it's not going to be something at that level so, so we don't that. have the instantaneousness yeah. of it so we don't we can't deliver within yeah, 20 yeah. minutes you've got to order it a day before mm-hmm. but but still i think people look forward to the absolutely. experience of, of our, our uh, meals arriving yeah absolutely it's super interesting mm-hmm. um and out of interest when you were when you were formulating Savahira, hero mm-hmm. uh, was that something that you and Mylene were looking to do a project together or did you ideate that project and thought this is perfect for her how, how did you come to, to build that so we were um, schoolgate parents because okay. our, our kids were at school together and um, we would often see each other uh, at collection time and that type of thing. Um, and she was going through a very similar experience 
uh, in her household as I was in my household, which is we were all very busy. Mm. We don't have the time to spend an hour trying to put a meal together, half an hour, 40 minutes clearing up afterwards, and also the thought preparation of trying to work out exactly what you're going to buy mm. from when. And we just wanted, we, 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 we want that instantaneousness of being able to eat so we don't want to compromise speed for quality yeah and that's what happens when when you when you don't have time you end up just throwing junk together or, yes. or reaching for easy options whereas we wanted to match speed plus quality put it together in 10 minutes eat really well do other stuff that's that's what we want super exciting mm. and when you're looking at this now, mm -hmm. do you think there's international opportunities here? Is this something? Because I'm fascinated. What's going on in the U.S. market? In this thing? Is, is is this type of delivery of, of meals something which they're utilising so, there? Do you see it going there? Yeah. So there, there's one um, there's one business that's that's scaling in on the west coast at okay. the moment, which is a similar kind of business. It's mm -hmm. just raised, I think, around ten million dollars uh, for for a, a west coast expansion. They're moving to the east coast. Mm -hmm. There are a few players that have lost their differentiation and uh, that have been public and were unicorns are now not unicorns. I think there's one called Blue Apron and mm. uh, Some Basket. There are sort of a few in the states that yeah. are doing more HelloFresh type of yeah. uh, of, of models. We're much more premium than that. Again, although £12.50 per, per person. I think there's appetite from, uh, we've been approached by um, operators in Canada looking, because mm. it's got a quite a similar demographic and geographical spread of course, um, as, yeah. as the UK. So I think that's, that's super interesting. But it's all about the product. So for us to be able to have an amazing cassoulet or to have some a salmon fillet marinated in miso and then stuffed in bao buns, that, that those kind of dishes are not dishes that you can put together in five minutes at home. Sounds incredible. If you want to do a coq au vin, <laughs> you can do a coq au vin, but you're going to do a coq au merlot. And you're yeah. going to, you, you, if you're going to do that from scratch, it'd be quite difficult to say, take these veal bones and, uh, and you know, reduce them over 48 hours until you get a really rich stock. Yeah. We can do all that for you. You don't have to do that. Yeah, thank, yeah. thankfully, because yeah, thank, yeah. I'd have no chance yeah. of doing it. No, yeah. that, that's incredible. So I've got five questions sure. that I ask everyone, which I'd love to, not mm -hmm. quick fire anything. What is the biggest risk you think you've taken in your career and what was the outcome? Well, I think, obviously for me, I think the biggest risk, which I didn't even think through at the time, was leaving law, leaving a career with a with a whole ladder process that I could have escalated, and just chucked it all away and and uh, and and started something from scratch, um, and has it paid off? I think I think it's too early to tell, really. <laughs> you know, I'm still on the journey. I'm going to be doing this till I'm seventy, so I'm not yeah. really uh, I'm not really a able to say yet. But it certainly has given me a lot of flexibility, and it's been a really enjoyable process. Yeah. Out of interest, because I think now it's more and more common for people to leave corporate careers where you do have that ladder opportunity to start new things, but I think at that time, much rarer. What did people think at the time? Were people like, you're insane for doing this? What, what was the, the feedback from friends and family at the time? So, well, do you know, it's, it's funny. It, it, the way that came about was when I was doing my degree, I was thinking about whether to go to university, whether to, to go into law at all. And I went on a on an exchange day course mm -hmm. to the Sorbonne University in Paris. And Richard Branson was giving a, a talk to the students. And there was a panel of, of six people that had been picked a year in advance mm -hmm. to ask him questions. Mm -hmm. So I turned up in this lecture hall in the, in the Sorbonne with a thousand people there and I took an empty chair and I stuck it on the end of the six people. So there were seven people and I just, nobody said anything and it, it, they got to me and I got to ask my question That's and incredible. I said, what do you think about doing law? 
about as a career versus going into business. And I remember Richard Branson's answer was, as soon as you start in something like law, which is a job, and you qualify, and then you become a senior solicitor, and then you become a junior partner, once you start getting through on that ladder, it becomes very, very difficult to jump off. And he said, go and be a lawyer. He said, but, but never, never be worried about jumping off the ladder and chucking it all in the bin and doing something completely left field. And it always stuck in my head. And to this day, I think my mother curses Richard Branson <laughs> because I'm sure she would have much preferred me to have stayed on that career path. That's incredible. Mm. That's amazing. And I also think that's such an amazing you know, thing to learn so early on, which is when there's an opportunity like that, taking the seventh chair, putting it there, you've got yeah. to take it. Right? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You definitely have to have the chutzpah to be able to yeah. just, just, again, ask, be curious, ask questions and just try things, try yeah. things, not be afraid of being, of having the door shut in your face. I think, I think that's the biggest thing is not having the fear of rejection. Mm. Um, I know so many people that, have talked the talk but have never actually tried to do things because they're worried about it failing and failure is part of that journey and um, and it, it will happen absolutely and i think a good lesson for everyone is if you're scared of rejection do it anyway yeah you know it takes a while to get over the fear of rejection it's about you know pushing through until you get over the fear right yeah yeah absolutely okay what are you proudest of so um I'm obviously very proud of what we've done with Superhero. Um, I think the quality of the proposition is fantastic, mm -hmm. and I love the food. So I, I am my own best customer, so I order every week. The whole family enjoys it. It's great. They look forward to it. So I'm extremely proud of that. Ironically, the restaurant that was a, a failure, the one that closed in 2002, mm -hmm. which was my only real failure uh, over, that, over that period, I, I was so proud of that restaurant. And to this day, I pull out the menu and I go, yeah. that was a cracking, I think it was ahead of its time. Right. Um, and I thought it was great. Um, it was a fabulous restaurant called Shumi in St. James's. And it got amazing reviews, except one. Uh, so Jay Rayner gave it um, an absolute horrific, no horrific review. Oh. Um, and, and his words, which I have in my office, blown up. It says, yeah. Jamie Barber should be arrested for crimes against food. <laughs> Um, so, but you got to take the rough with the smooth, and I've that's had incredible. thankfully I've had more smooth than rough. But yeah, um, but yeah you got to take it on the chin. Oh, that's incredible! That's a great story. Mm. Okay, if there's one thing that you could have done differently in career, if anything, what would it be? What would I have done differently? Um, I think that I I I think I if I'd have had MBA experience, mm -hmm. I think that would have helped me dramatically I mean a lot of what I have done has been learnt by experience yeah. and uh, I think it's the make it fake it till you make it mentality mm -hmm. and I think I'm I'm sophisticated enough and I've been in business for long enough now that I know my my craft so mm -hmm. to speak um, but I certainly would have liked to have done an MBA or a business business orientated degree and I think that would have accelerated my learning quite dramatically yeah really really interesting mm -hmm. it's something I've always thought about as well doing yeah the it's just I think it's difficult to once you're into the swing of entrepreneurialism, to be like, I'm going to take some time out. But yeah, I think about that as well. I, I did want to do, there is a Harvard Business School course mm. that I'm quite attracted to doing, which is like a two or three month thing. Oh, okay. Um, and it's not a full degree and you have to, you know, you, you, I think you do it over five years. We do three months every year for five right. years. But I'm still kind of attracted to doing that. So I yeah. may do that at some point. Nice. Okay, mm. great. Second to last question mm -hmm. for you, Jamie. What does it take to be successful? 
Uh, well, I think we've talked about some of those things. It takes a huge amount of perseverance, mm. huge amounts of perseverance. I mean, if if you don't get the door shoved in your face a hundred times a day, then you're doing something wrong Absolutely. because you need to keep pushing, <laughs> pushing the boundaries, um, doing it rather than talking about it and not being afraid of, of rejection and failure. Th those three things in terms of character, in terms of actually uh, tangible things, raise more money than you need. Mm. That's, that's, that's definitely that's great advice. Mm. It's great advice. Okay. Mm. My last one, mm -hmm. 15 year old Jamie walks in the room right now. Okay. What are you telling him? Stay clear of restaurants. <laughs> <laughs> it's a, you know, restaurants are very, very tough sector to be in. Um, luckily I, I, I am in the position where I put myself into a, a chairman position of that, of mm -hmm. the restaurant group. And I, we've got an amazing CEO that, that, that runs that business, but it, it's tough. It's full of challenges. It's like a, it's like a show every day and things mm -hmm. can go wrong. Things can go right. Um, I think that probably I left law a bit early. So I, I was, I was only a lawyer for about four years. I think mm -hmm. another couple of years under my belt would have been really uh, a, a good thing to do, but I don't, I don't think that I would have changed the way that my career has panned out because as I say, it's been dynamic. It's been really good fun. It's had, it's had massive challenges, but it's had really massive success. It's quite a bipolar type of career path mm. I've had. Um, but it also has meant that I've had the flexibility to see my children grow up yeah. and uh, take them to school plays and pick them up from school every so often. So, you know, I think, I think, that I, I live a, a seven-day-a-week entrepreneur's journey, which most entrepreneurs do. There's no distinction, really. It's just <laughs> one long, fluid cycle. Yeah. <laughs> you, know? you live and breathe a holiday. What? It's all yeah. the same, you know. And every day is a Monday or a Sunday. It's hard to tell, yeah. right? Yeah, but but it, but you embrace that. It becomes yeah. part of your lifestyle. I don't I don't demark, I, and I, my family don't expect me to demark that either because mm. they live and breathe these businesses. My kids, my wife, they, they live and breathe these businesses like I do. So everybody knows what's going on. It's just part of life, yeah. really. Amazing. Jamie, thank you so much for coming. It's a great pleasure. Anything you want to plug before we end? My Superhero, www.mysuperhero.com and try and order. It's fantastic. It's great value. And please try it out. Amazing. Thanks so much, mate. Thanks.